This is Let's Talk About from Style Canada. And let me tell you, we're talking. Let's face it, we talk a lot. We talk about things we love, hot topics, and anything in between. But what about the things we don't talk about? What about the things we want to know but don't know how to ask? Don't worry, we've got you covered. Let's expand our horizons. Let's talk about it. Need a hand picking out a look for your next date night or event? Pop on over to smitherystyle.com and book a virtual appointment with one of their stylists. They even have a bestie option for you and your friend to take part in a style session together. We love Smithery's message to wear what looks good on your body type so you feel confident. If there is one thing we all know, it's that when you look good, you feel good. Head to Smithery Style on Instagram to get some style inspiration. Hi, everyone, and welcome. This week, let's talk about matchmaking with matchmaker Maria. Maria is a fourth-generation matchmaker based in New York City with a global reputation. She utilizes behavior science and the unique know-how gained through years of matchmaking success. Maria is the founder of Agape Match and the highly acclaimed Matchmakers Alliance, a collaborative network of hand-selected international dating professionals. Maria, thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you for having me. I'm a big fan, big Instagram follower of the Ask Matchmaker Maria series. So excited to have you one-on-one. Might throw in some personal questions at the end. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for following. I really appreciate it. Yeah. So can you start off by telling us a little bit about how you got into matchmaking? I know you have a family history of this. Yeah. So the short story is that, uh, as you had mentioned before, I'm a generational matchmaker. So, you know, my grandmother and her mother and her grandmother, they were all matchmakers. And what that means for that period of time in that particular location means that, you know, they were very good at making Greek coffee and holding the village secrets so that when it was time to arrange some courtships to happen, they got a say in that. Of course, what I do in New York is insanely different. Uh, you know, you don't know by default someone's value set and you're also setting up strangers. They're not necessarily part of your community. So it's a, it's a very different method, but, you know, I think it's rooted in the same thing, which is understanding people's values, people's communication styles, people's lifestyles. Like how do they assess risk? How do they want to have fun? All of these things that come into play when it comes to compatibility. So that's a short story. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sure. There's, I'm sure there's a much longer version. I, I, I'd love to hear some of the stories too. I've heard the story of how you've met your husband, which I think is really interesting, which we'll get into, but I think you bring up an interesting point in that, you know, decades ago we met and married probably someone in our community. And so we right. knew that those values were aligned. Right. And nowadays with dating, I mean, I, I spent a decade in New York city. You have no idea where someone's from or, or maybe what their, the context is to their dating journey. So is there, you know, I can, I can absolutely see the value in hiring a matchmaker. Is there a specific person that kind of comes to you or Uh, yes. Uh, you know, with matchmaking, it is an investment. So, you know, I think people have to evaluate how much do they value outsourcing something like this out of their lives. So the kind of person that would hire us is the kind of person who, you know, they might have a personal trainer at the gym. They might even have a personal chef, uh, or they wish they had a personal chef, but it said they'll invest in us first, or they might use a personal stylist once a year. I was talking yesterday to one of my clients and I think he put it really, you know, he put it best for me is like by working with us the last month, suddenly the stress of dating has been lifted off his shoulder because someone else is, you know, 
pushing the rock up the hill and hopefully we'll find him the right match. Like I'm going on all the first dates for him and he gets to go on the second dates, which are really the first dates. And it goes back to like what dating is, you know, dating is a very new concept. When you look at the history of humans dating, I feel like it was invented, you know, depending on what country you're from, it was invented, you know, in the last century before that you had courting or arranging. So you had two right. other concepts, right? Like you mentioned before, about like, you know, how you'd meet someone in your community, you would start dating them. You would be courted by that person. Um, you would go out and get to know them. Dating in the context of today is you're meeting strangers or you're, you know, you're meeting someone who you might not know their friend circle. You might not even know what religion or background they come from. You might not know their education level. Before how people met, they met someone through their circle. They started courting. And you can call that dating as an umbrella term. But now this is dating is a whole new beast. And I think what people are experiencing is not courting fatigue, but dating fatigue. That's a great point. I feel like I've had just a few aha moments in there, but in it's kind of like if you were meeting someone at the office and you got the chance to get to know them, that would almost have been like courting in a way, right? That's like courting. you don't have to, yeah, like you don't yeah. have to decide right away versus nowadays when you're meeting someone on an app or you're kind of like right away going into this, we're dating and what are all the thoughts that I have to go through to filter or filters to go through if this person is the one, right? Yeah. I feel like some people don't take advantage of like weddings and friend barbecues because that is such a perfect way to start courting someone instead of dating someone. Like if I went to a wedding and I was a single woman, I can assume that anyone there um, at the wedding that is also single probably shares 90% of my value sets because we have the same mutual friend. Mm-hmm. Right? right. And you see this with like friend groups, right? If, if I asked you to show me your five closest girlfriends or even the guy friends who were adjacent to that friendship group, I'm going to assume that all of you share in the same values, not in everything, but in a lot of things. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. the only time you see a, a massive difference in this is when you look at like your high school friends. So not the friends okay who you met through your parents, you know, how you, you know how you, sometimes your parents have friends and you become friends with their yeah. kids. I'm Italian. So yes. And I know you're so you get so it, yeah, right. I get it. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but like there are other, you know, you'll make friends in high school because you're social engineered in that environment to get to know people. And I think sometimes there you can see as you can become adults, you tend to see the value set shift a lot. That's why you kind of see, like when you ask like, if someone's talking about a friend and they're like, Oh my God, can you believe they did this? Like they might start gossiping about someone. It's almost always someone they knew in high school. <laughs> That's that true. They didn't necessarily yeah. send like share like a value set with. So, you know, who you choose to be friends with as an adult, who your parents were friends with, their kids, these things tend to, you know, they're they're tend you tend to make assumptions, tend to share things with these people that are pretty significant. Mm-hmm. Um, now I'm not saying that every person that you meet at a friend's wedding is going to be compatible to because then you have to think of other things beyond the value set, right? Like I mentioned before, risk assessment. Um, you need to share a complementary way of looking at risk. And what I mean by that is, for instance, um, I had mentioned this on a, one of my podcast episodes recently, one of my guests with a million dollars, he would invest it all in the stock market. And so would his wife. And if I were given a million dollars, I would pay off all of my student debt and create educational trusts for my kids and my nieces and nephews. And so would my husband. I'm not saying that what my guest is, is wrong. I'm not saying what he, his thought process is different. I'm so happy. He found someone that shares in the same risk assessment 
because mm-hmm. I don't share that with him. I share that with the partner that I chose for myself. And, and I think you tend to see this in like a lot of marriages that, you know, dissolve sometimes, you know, financial strain and management of that lifestyle does go into like that risk assessment. So there's certain things you have to look at when it comes to long-term compatibility that might not necessarily be in the value set of the friendship group. Cause now you're talking about temperament, which is part of your personality. So if you, so we're basically talking about the people that didn't get to meet anyone at the wedding. Right. right. And now, and now they're kind of coming to you. So it sounds like you, I mean, very clearly have this process that you go through. So can you give us a little insight into what I guess the matchmaking process would look like from like, if I was coming to you as a client, what that would look like for me. And then I want to take that further, but we'll start there. So if anyone wants to become a client, the first step is to go to our website and fill out the form. And when you fill out the form, you know, it gives our team some information about you to start doing a preliminary search and you would meet someone with our team first, not with me. First, someone else calls you to to make sure you're really interested in doing this. And then you have that initial conversation with a member of our team. We, um, we also start doing preliminary searches on our end, like, okay, based on this information they provided, who do we have? Because we don't want to offer a contract to someone that we don't feel like there's a 90% chance we could get them in a relationship in the next mm-hmm. six months. So we start to look at, you know, what do we have within our own database and our network? You know, how can we recruit for them? Do we have the methodology already developed for this particular search and the resources and the process to um, be able to, you know, resource potential matches for this person. So all these things come into consideration before that person and I even have a conversation. And, and then that next step after that is a conversation with me. Um, and we would walk through like, okay, based on your search, here are some preliminary matches. Like we want to understand, you know, we ask them for photos of their ex-girlfriends or ex-boyfriends. Like we want to understand, like, what were you attracted to? Why didn't it work out? Tell me about your family. Tell them about your siblings. What are they doing? What's your relationship like with them? Uh, we ask them, you know, some pretty important questions. Like when you go on vacation, what do you do on vacation? That can tell you a lot about someone's personality and and more specifically temperament. Um, So, you know, you certain things that we are looking for when we're interviewing someone. So before we even offer a contract, we may have spent anywhere between two and three hours together uh, cumulatively. And then when we're able to offer a contract, then recruitment kicks off. And that is where we start going through all of, you know, considering matches that may have signed up to be considered in our database. So if anyone wants to be a part of our database to be considered as a free match, a potential match for one of our clients, they can do that on the website. They choose free membership and there you go. And, you know, if we believe that someone is a cross match for them based on criteria that they've also submitted, we would then call them in for a consultation. And based on how that conversation goes, if it's still a match, we would then coordinate their first and second date. So we would tell them the time, day, and place. You know, we share bios. We would tell them the time, day, and place of the date. They show up. Hopefully, they have a great time. The next day, we would collect their feedback. And if it went well, we, you know, we would also coordinate their second date. So it's very much, um, and I, I know I've heard you again in other podcasts kind of say, there's times where it's not a match between the client and the matchmaker. And so it's kind of like, I guess, like finding a therapist in a way too, right? All like sometimes the time. personalities don't match. Yeah. Yeah. And not just personalities, but even like the search criteria, you know, there've been men okay. and women where I'm like, man, I'd really love to work with you, but I don't have anyone for you, you know, based on the search criteria or, you know, sometimes it's also delusion. <laughs> I don't, you know, I hate to say it like <laughs> that, but like, I don't have 
like, it's funny. Some of my clients, if you ask them, they'll say that they're picky. And I don't think my clients are picky. They're only picky if I don't have it. And if I have, you know, I have more than 25,000 people in my database, chances are I, I might have the search. What, what makes the search hard and not a match is when it's like, okay, does this person exist? When you're out there in the dating world, you want to look your best. Enter Smithery. From flattering denim to the perfect third piece, Smithery has you covered, whether it's a first date or a 10th wedding anniversary. Their collection of pieces make you feel confident, comfortable, and beautiful. To check out their new pieces for spring, summer, and maybe a sale item or two, head to smitherystyle.com and get ready to look your best this season. Mm. And if I don't have them, where do they exist? And, you know, like we'll have instances where, you know, we'll have, okay, I'll give you an extreme example. This is not a client, but I'll give you a very extreme example. You know, I've had a 62 year old man come to us, say that, you know, he wants to have kids and she has to be under 35, but she also can't be a gold digger. And he says in this like very negative way, like not be a gold digger. And I'm like, well, first of all, there's nothing wrong with women who, um, you know, there are plenty of people who um, see value in that transactional or, relationship, yeah. I suppose. Yeah. I don't know how else to describe it, right? Yeah. But also like you're 62, like how, like, I, you know, it's funny. I actually do have women under 35 who are interested in, you know, that kind of age gap. Mm-hmm. But to add on that extra thing, like she can't have dad issues. She can't be a gold digger. It's like, okay, like, you know, do you want to have kids or not? And like, this is not, those are not typically the clients that we we take. Usually if a person has this kind of search criteria, we'll send them to a specific matchmaker who does extreme age gap matchmaking. Yeah. There's certain niches that exist within the community to send it to, you know, those, the right matchmaker. Right. But it's like the judgment that comes with it. It's like, I'm not judging. Why are you judging? You know, it's like, right. Right. Um, so I find that like very, uh, these extreme examples that like happen, you're like, huh. And then, you know, sometimes I think people, I think sometimes we will interview people and we'll recognize very quickly that like, I know they want to hire us and I know we have women, but I am also understanding why they might still be single. And I feel like they might want to hire us because they want to blame someone else for them for them being finding got it got it there's no lack of matches it's always like well why why didn't you match with this you know you ask questions right uh yeah and you sort of learn over time like oh you're not acting right on dates and you've never acted right on you know you have to ask questions you have to ask a lot of questions before you work with someone of course right that's that's with any job though right so yeah it's what you said it's like finding the right therapist i think if anyone is looking for a matchmaker they should interview at least two matchmakers to decide who is the best fit? Who has my matches? What is their methodology? You know, what is their networking clout? You know, all that stuff has to come into play when you're thinking about making such a big investment. Mm -hmm. And so not only, you know, matching like you would a therapist, but I would imagine you also end up kind of being a little bit of a therapist and pointing out maybe where, what they want and, and what they're asking for, like, is just not aligned. Is that fair to say? Yeah, like- sometimes I don't like to think of a therapist. I like to think of it as like a big sister, even though okay. some of my clients uh, are older than me. Okay. Um, I'll give them advice as if I was their big sister, like, hey, you know, if you did it this way, you know, like I have a client who sometimes he talks about money on first dates and, uh, you know, I'm like, stop talking about money on dates. Like, don't, don't do that. Women don't like that. 
And I'm not saying to him as a therapist, I'm saying to him as like, look, I'm rooting for you. I really want you to get in a relationship. Let's not, you know, let's not screw this up. Let's like learn from this. Cause we know the, you know, the best part about using a matchmaker for most matchmakers, I believe is that matchmakers collect feedback from both parties after each date. And then I can use that feedback to calibrate their next match or nudge them in the right direction to set them up for success for future matches too. That's you know, you might not recognize when you're doing something wrong. Right. Well, I, I think absolutely, especially if, you know, I'm in my mid thirties and especially if you were single for a certain amount of time, there's likely something that you've been maybe doing a little bit wrong. Oh, not always. I, I hate to know, say okay. that. I hate to say that. It's not always. And like, you know, I, I, I hate to say like most people haven't done anything. Right. And maybe that's usually the problem too. It's like, you know, they, they'll focus so much on work. They're not investing in their social life. They're, you know, they have mm-hmm. the same friend group that they had when they were 22 and, and nothing has changed for them to like meet new people. And that's, that's stagnant social networking. And I, I get it. It's totally, that happens. And, you know, I definitely want to point out that right now there are a lot of people under the age of 35 who've never even been in a relationship. And that's mm-hmm. also normal too, you know, like, because, you know, it, uh, life, especially for people under 35 has taken such turns where it can be hard to make new friends, especially, mm-hmm. you know, depending on even on like what industry you're involved in, right. you know, if it's very male dominant, if it's very female dominated, you don't have a lot of opportunities. So I think using a matchmaker, sometimes it helps to, what I believe I do is I try to lift every single stone to like, you know, find potential matches for you. And all I can do is, you know, I can't guarantee you getting into a relationship because so much of that is, you know, my client's own behavior mm-hmm. of what they're like on dates. But all I can do is in, find people that want to meet them enthusiastically. Okay. And, yeah. and at least, you know, over time, maybe you'll meet six, 10, 12, 15 people through us um, who you wanted to meet, but they also really wanted to meet you. And hopefully one of those people, you know, you get into a relationship with. So what, what do you see? And you mentioned the question of how do you vacation? What are some yeah. of the, the questions that, cause you know, we don't all unfortunately have access to someone like you. What are some of those questions that we should be asking, whether it's, you know, a few dates in or, or whatever to get to the bottom of like, what values someone might have, or if we're aligned, what are some of those important questions? My three favorite questions, um, on first or second dates are tell me a little bit more about your friends. Okay. Um, I love learning about people's friends, how their friends would describe them. Uh, but also I want to know, like, do you have friends? What do you, how often do you meet them? You know, if your friends are far away, how often do you call them? Do you zoom them? Do you send them gifts? Like, I want to know, especially with men, I want to know how much time are you investing in your friends? Cause I find it, um, alarming if a man tells me like he has no friends. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I don't, I don't want the person that he chooses to partner with to be their whole world. I want them to have an independent life that they can come back and share with that person. Um, so that's usually like my first, I think it's like a really important question. The next question that I think is a great question to ask. And I mentioned it before was like, tell me about when you go on vacation. Like, what do you do? I don't want to know where you're going or where you plan to go. I want to know, like, are you staying in hostels? Do you like, you know, splurging on a five-star hotel? Are you all about the Airbnb? Do you like group travel? Do you only like event travel? Like I used to have a client 
who he really loved going to formula one races. And that's, that was his entire vacation schedule. So he would go to, you know, Dubai, Moscow, Zurich, Monaco, of course, you know, uh, Rio de Janeiro, like his whole travel schedule is based on this event happening a few times a year. And that tells you a lot about like, okay, so he spends money on these events. Um, you know, he, he has a certain purpose to go to these things, you know, is he going then to museums? Like how he's spending the downtime? You know, you can ask right. certain questions to, do, you know, cause some people, they want to go on vacation. I used to have a client where she only wanted to go at like five-star resorts, business class or private jet sort of travel. But her husband, he wanted to stay at hostels and live like a local. And that's not, that's very different. And I think yeah. this does translate to your, you know, we're talking about vacation, but that certainly translates to your day-to-day stuff. Right. And then the like third question, day-to-day. absolutely. And the third question I definitely want to know the answer to is the $1 million question, get a million dollars. And I specifically say you get a million dollars from a scratch off ticket given to you by your boss. Okay. What do you do with the money? And you can learn so much about someone's relationship with work what, what anxieties they might have, how they view the future. You know, answering that question is very different for many people. And I'm not Mm -hmm. saying you have to answer that question the same as the person that you end up dating or marry. Um, but I do think that the person that you are with should acknowledge and respect your answer. Yeah. Yeah. You know, some people might say, um, like for instance, you know, ask yourself, like, would you give part of that $1 million to your boss? They gave you the scratch off ticket. Would um, you? Well, you're your own boss. Well, I'm, I'm my own boss, but I have been in this situation. You know, I did have a job before I started my, I started my business 13 years ago, but before that I did have a corporate job. And I remember my boss, she got me a scratch off ticket. And before I scratched it, I did ask myself, like, if I win something here, does she get something? And I decided I will give her 10%. Like, that's what I had decided in my mind. Yeah. Of course I got nothing, but, (laughs) but that's what would happen. So if my boss gave me a scratch off ticket, $100,000 goes to them for getting that. Like that's me now, but you know, most people even probably listening to this episode right now, they would say, um, no, screw my boss. That's what they got me a scratch off ticket. Like get out of here. You know, like, you know, they would, I was, I was kind of thinking like, it would depend how much I like my boss, what, but I think that that's, it shows you saying that 10% shows that to me, you saying that was like, okay, she's thoughtful. She's considerate of others because they but gave even her, look at so how you that. just, yeah. But even look at how you just evaluated that answer, right? Like you started talking about your boss, right? Yeah. So now I'm going to learn on a date through this question. What is your job? Like, what is your career? Like, what's your relationship with your managers or your boss? Like, like right. you can learn a lot through that question. Um, yeah. that has nothing to do with money at all. Yeah, true. Um, it has to do with like, you know, the relationships you have around yourself, you know, for one third of your day. So I think these three questions tend to be really great dating questions where you can learn a lot about someone. Yeah. There's two things you've already said that I'm just thinking of like the dating app industry, that there needs to be a feedback button. (laughs) Most people don't want feedback. You know, you say (laughs) that everyone says that, Oh, I wish I knew, but you know what? No one wants to know. And I'll tell you what it is. Like, for 95% of men, the reason why they didn't go on a second date with you is because they just didn't, they were just not attracted to you. Right. That's, that's, that's almost always it. And for women, the but, reason why they didn't want to go out with him 95% of the time is that he was rude in some way. He didn't ask any questions or she just didn't 
have fun. Okay. Interesting. You know, and then yeah, rude is like a sense. very wide umbrella, right? He, the rude for some people is like, he didn't ask any questions about me. And some people might think that's rude. So, you know, 95% of the time, why someone to go out with you is usually falls around both of these things. And there okay. you go. Like what's the feedback going to tell you otherwise? Yeah. Interesting. Okay. No, I didn't, I didn't know that that was the stats on it. So thanks for sharing that. That's like, makes sense. Like when you kind of say that's it why like that, yeah. if you're a heterosexual woman dating straight men, your photos should be as transparent as possible. It's like what you look like today, because right. if he's swiping you, that means he's attracted. Yeah. Yeah. You and know, so you, so you want to match those photos. <laughs> yeah. You want to match yeah. those photos. Don't put in the filters and don't put in like the best, put it, I would put in the worst photos of myself yeah. and like, be like, if you like this, wait until you see me in person. Yeah. <laughs> You're setting that bar, you know, at a manageable height. I like that. So let's say that you've, you know, you've matched someone, they are hitting it off. What do you see that makes for a successful long-term match? Cause I think you, a successful match for you is about six months, right? So yeah. what, what kind of factors play into that? Is there, is there alignment on finances alignment on like what, what kind of goes into a successful match? I think that what makes people feel secure in a relationship is being able to communicate their boundaries and what their expectations are. So when you look at successful couples and happy couples, cause you know, there's plenty of people that have been dating for years or married for years and they're not happy. Mm-hmm. So I don't know mm-hmm. if I would consider that a success. That just means that they went through certain milestones. True. Yeah. Um, but what would make a happy relationship is, you know, you being able to set the expectations where you can still feel acknowledged and not confused and you can feel secure. So I think for success, you know, you, you want to look at someone who, has emotional resilience and you also try to grow your own emotional resilience. Um, and that, you know, that includes like coping and problem solving and your sense of humor. There's a lot of things that go into emotional resilience. Um, I think you'll see that, you know, for long-term compatibility, you have, um, intellectual aspects as well. Like in a lot of the values can hit under intellectual stuff. Like if you think about like, there are certain people who think of morality as relative and other people think of morality as absolute. And you see this actually even right now with the war happening in Ukraine, like you see that some people will say that all war is bad Mm. and other people will, and that's a very absolute way of thinking of things. And then you'll see other people who are like, more important than others. And that's a very relative way of thinking. Um, and you know, someone listening to this is going to disagree with one of those two statements mm-hmm. and that tells you, okay, do I take a more absolute way of thinking of things or am I a bit more relative in, in morality or even what I guess what I'm describing as geopolitics, but you know, think about Whatever how that translates into a relationship, right? Like yeah. for instance, I don't, you know, in the United States we have, um, we still debate about a woman's right to full healthcare. Yeah. And that is a moral relative argument, right? So you should be with someone who lives in the the same moral plane as you. If you feel like a woman should have full access to her healthcare without the government getting involved, it would be easier in life to be with someone who also shares in that same belief as you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and, and I'm very careful with my wording here, (laughs) but that is what the core of the discussion is. 
And I think that, you know, you, you know, when you look at long-term compatibility, there are certain things you have to look at, which is like, okay, do you live in the same moral plane? Are you intellectually compatible? Are you financially compatible? And that has to do with lifestyle. Um, you know, how do you spend your time? How do you value your money and how you spend it? So, you know, these sort of things that come in. So all of these things, you know, it's not just one thing that makes a relationship right. last, but you know, if you're going to, you know, to, to get to that six month mark, a lot of that is someone meeting you at the communication standards that you have or that you share um, and making you feel acknowledged. And if you don't have that, if you feel confused at six months, that is a sign to leave. Yeah, fair. So is six months where you kind of would evaluate most relationships for those people out there that are are at that time? Is that a is I think that four a months good, is a much months? more, okay. I think, I think if you're evaluating, like, you know, is this person my forever person? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, it's it, four months tends to be a make or break point for a lot of people. Okay. Um, in fact, I believe match group, their last study, not in 2021, I think it was a 2021 where they had discovered that even like, what are we? seems to now has gone away from like it used to happen within six weeks. Now it's happening at four months, but I think that might be like more pandemic talking than anything. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's so true though. Like a pretty, yeah. Like three, four months is when I feel like I had that thought when my sister, my friend, like it seemed to be about around that time. Yeah. Like what yeah, is, I mean, I, is my going? husband, I remember the four yeah. month mark. I was like, I mean, I knew I loved my, like, I knew I was falling in love with my husband when I met him like very quickly. But I remember like four months in thinking, oh yeah, this is, this is forever. Yeah. Wow. Eh? Okay. Yeah. So six months is just an arbitrary number for people to feel more comfortable. But I, I always tell people if you're, if you feel confused after four to five, you know, four to six months, that might be a sign to, to either have a conversation about you, how you cannot be confused mm-hmm. or to make a decision based on the outcome of that conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Is there any other, um, like I, I know when you're asking matchmaker, there's lots of questions on like what milestones people should be hitting. Is there any other kind of like reflection points in the dating process? So if we're saying like three, four months is maybe when you're feeling that way is a year when you're feeling another way or from then on, is it all kind of like depending think, on the I think from there, it's so independent to yeah. like the people, but you know, there's other things that I think you should look for. So I always tell people like, you got to meet their friends or know them or they have to know about you within, I think six weeks. Um, uh, I want to confirm that, you know, the person that you're dating is single (laughs) and one way to do that is to meet their friends. Um, um, I'm watching a lot of Tinder swindler and like frauds, fraud things on Netflix. So yeah, (laughs) it's, it's, that's a real thing. And I think that, you know, yeah. And so that cut the Tinder swindler is just one of thousands of stories. So, um, so yeah, I think that that's something. And then, um, I really don't recommend, um, people moving in together before they're engaged or before the two year mark. Um, I don't want you choosing to live with someone just because the rent would be cheaper or, Oh, you know, I spent six days a week there. That's nice. Okay. That's fine. Yeah. Your apartment's your insurance. Like you should keep it. Um, you know, you people have put themselves in really unfortunate situations where it's like, Oh, 
the rent is cheaper. I'm unhappy, but I'll stay six months longer because that's when the lease is up. Yeah. I feel like you get a lot of questions about that on your, yeah. your ask a matchmaker Wednesdays, so that kind of, I mean, even helped. like, I'm, I'm not saying this, like my own personal opinion, but the statistics say it like even, mm. um, you know, the NIH has like found it funded some studies on relationships and like healthy relationships. And it's interesting how like the divorce rates plummet if you've been with them for more than two years. Wow. And that might okay. not seem like a lot, but there's a lot of people that got married, you know, very early. It's also, you know, they also plummet if you are over 27. They mm -hmm. also, you know, if you are over 27 and you've been dating for more than two years and you have finished high school, the divorce rates are way, way lower. You know how really? people say it's like 50% and it's like, it's actually something like 70% like if you don't have those things. Like if you got married at like 24 and, mm -hmm. you know, you're not, uh, you have you not completed your education or... and you only knew each other for six months. Um, there is a very high rate of divorce there, but if you just wait until you're 27, you know, there's certain things that you just, you see it in the data. I love you feeding us some of this data because I, we've had on Logan Yuri, we had on John Berger, who are also really into the, the science and data of things. So anyway, I love these kind of statistics and maybe that's the type A person in me. That's like, tries to filter like, okay, could something work? Okay. Check that off. Check where that, right. where that. And a lot but of that yeah, data so. comes from, um, you know, both of those people that you mentioned, both Logan and, and, and John, and also, um, Dr. Terry Orbeck, you know, she's one of the people that did the relationship studies back in the age. She's been following like something like 300 couples or something for the last 38 years. Okay. And it's very interesting to see like what's come out of that, you know, that not just her study, but a few studies on, long-term compatibility. Very cool. No, very cool. I'll have to check that out. I haven't, I haven't dove into uh, her work. So I think this was all very kind of eye-opening. So some, I know some tips of how to maybe meet, meet the one in 2022. I love the story of how you met your husband. Yeah. Can you share some of that? Um, so I, when I, when I was 28, um, I remember thinking like, wow, every time I have sex, I find myself like falling in love. Um, and I think my body was just like, yeah, you need to, you know, like we're, we're ready. And, um, and I was very conscientious of like who I was dating. I, I remember thinking like, okay, if I'm gonna, if I'm gonna date someone, I'm dating to get married now. Like I knew, you know, I knew that I wanted my next serious relationship to lead to marriage. And recognizing that now, this is like the day of my 28th birthday. I recognized that. And I remember writing a little manifest to myself saying, okay, here's who I'm going to marry. Like I'll kind of like reverse engineering it a little bit. Like here's who I'm going to marry. Here's what he's like. Here's who I think is acceptable for my next boyfriend. And, and I looked at the list and I thought to myself, okay, which of my friends are married or dating someone like this? Because I bet he's friends with this guy. Mm -hmm. And I could think of it. And I didn't think of that long. I thought maybe for like two minutes and I thought of two people, which was enough for me. And, um, uh, I went to both of those men. I had a relationship with those men to like, be able to talk to them, you know, freely. And I said, Hey, next time you're out with your guy friends, I need you to invite me. And, um, a week later, one of those guys was like, yeah, I'm going to be out with my guy friends. You know, my girlfriend's coming too, but I'll be out with my guy friends, uh, next week in Boston. And I was like, great, I'll be there. And I got on a, I lived in New York at the time and I got yeah. on an Amtrak, Amtrak headed over yeah. to Boston. <laughs> I met like nine of his friends that night. 
one of them, um, you know, seemed, I guess, you know, he was very friendly and he seemed interested in me and um, he was very funny and he asked a lot of questions and he was very charismatic. And I, I would come to find out that he was doing that because the woman that we had in common was one of my employees. So he was trying to make his friend look really cool in front of her boss. <laughs> um, but, you know, he had um, everything that I wanted in my manifest. And, um, you know, I, my, my husband's very introverted and um, a little shy when he first meets people. Um, so, and I, but I knew I could tell, like at some point I was like, okay, he's into me. So I got to figure out how to give him a green flag. And I remember saying something to him and we exchanged numbers. And instead of like texting him my name, I texted him a really cute photo of me. Like I was like drinking like a coffee cup, like a green yeah. coffee, like with my pinky out. And he replied back, like, you're cute. And I was like, that's, that's all I needed. Like I needed oh, him I to like, that. I didn't know the texting part of the story. Okay. Yeah. And that. then uh, that was it. The Like then we started a long distance relationship that we thought would be like, oh, we'll do a long distance for a year and a half. It ended up being six years of long distance because we both had things happening in our careers where we just couldn't leave our respective cities, but we yeah. made it work. You know, like I would go to Boston um, for 10 days a month and he would come down the other two weekends. So we saw each other. I remember one of my roommates, her boyfriend lived like two blocks away. I saw George, that's my husband's name. I saw him more days a month than she did. She saw yeah. her boyfriend. Yeah. Um, so I thought that was pretty funny, but yeah. I know that you have that, it whole, that whole long distance rule too. too. And as, as you just said, I knew you what your husband's name is, but I just put together, you both have the same names as my parents, Maria and George. So. It's a very popular Greek um, pairing, by the way. Like we have a Is lot it, yeah. of friends who are named Maria and George. There's like so many friends named Maria and George. That's, so funny. Look, George is the most popular name in Greece for men. Is Maria okay. is the most popular name for women in Greece. So it's like it a very popular pairing. <laughs> it happens. Very popular. Well, thanks so much for being here with us. Can you share us a little more about where people can find you? Yeah. Um, and I know you have a couple different services too, besides the matchmaking, some courses and things like that. So I'd love to hear about those. So if you want to learn more about, um, my company, you can go to agapematch.com, A-G-A-P-E match.com. Um, but if you want to learn more about me and all of my other services, you can follow me on Instagram at matchmaker Maria and the link in bio will redirect you to different things. Like, you know, we have a very popular coaching program called the Agave intensive, um, as well as the dating refresh. So there's different programs that we have developed to help people experience less dating fatigue. Um, and we also have a couple of retreats. Like we have right now a retreat happening in Greece in the summer. And then we have another retreat that we'll be announcing in a couple of weeks in, um, in Mexico in November. Awesome. Oh, very be cool. Great. Yeah. Bringing it back into the real world. I love it. Totally. Love it. Totally. Yeah. Well, thank excited. you so much for being here with us. It was great to chat with you. It was really great meeting you too. Yeah. Thank you for tuning into this conversation. We will have a brand new one the first Monday of each month. If you were intrigued by anything in our conversation, we encourage you to talk about it. Tell a friend, post on social media, take action in your very own way. Subscribe to get the newest episode at your fingertips as soon as it drops. Until next time, check out Style Canada, a disruptor in the media for its community of inquisitive style seekers. You can find us at style.ca or on social media. 
just like this podcast, Style Canada is not just about style. It's about living a lifestyle that leaves people open to evolution and opportunity. This episode was hosted by Elise Gasparino, produced and edited by Regina Johan. Music credit goes to Raspberry Music, and it was brought to you by Smithery.